Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Well, hello, and welcome once again, wherever you are in our great country and around the world. In fact, I understand that there are people from Costa Rica that are listening. So that's where I was in the Peace Corps. Es mi patria del sur. Bienvenidos a los de Costa Rica. But this is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice American Variety Channel, and I'm just happy, still excited to be able to share thoughts with you in this edition of All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. We are spending an hour each Friday morning and thereafter, uh, 7 o'clock, Pacific Time, 10 o'clock Eastern, where we take some of the issues of our day, many of which really are not being discussed or not effectively enough, and really going into them in some detail, I always have a guest, and boy, do I have one today for you. You're going to be fascinated by what this man has done and who he is and, and what he's accomplishing with the Reason Foundation. But we all know we hear things all the time that are going badly in our world, and there certainly are some, and we get hammered with them a lot. But there are a lot of good things that are happening as well. And when we should focus on those and focus on real issues, focus on real approaches, real solutions, which is why we're called the Libertarian Way, because I really believe that the, the Libertarian Way with free minds and free markets, like the Reason Foundation discusses, and also uh, getting into integrity and responsibility, uh, that sort of principles, uh, the rule of law, that this will iron these things out. By the way, recently <laughs> I just saw I was in a tourist store and I saw a, a sign that had the backdrop of an American flag and on it it said, uh, liberty, justice for all. And I thought, boy, that's just great. And you look around the back, and it had Made in China on it. And boy, talk about some irony. But uh, it leads me into what we're talking about here, because no one has really ever raised themselves up out of poverty, except through the free market system. And uh, that is what Reason Foundation talks about with our guest today, David Knott. David goes way back. He has actually graduated with a BA and BS in, from Stanford University, both in economics and petroleum engineering, as I understand it. Graduated with distinction. Pretty good stuff. He also was then for seven years at the George Mason University, which is a real libertarian think tank university as well, then actually was the president both of the Institute for Humane Studies, which frequently gets some of my money, as well as the Mercatus Center, which also gets some of my money. But cheer up, now he's the president of Reason Foundation. That's been since 2001, I believe. And the Reason Foundation, of course, has been... Uh, publishing Reason Magazine, which I, I subscribe to, one of the best magazines around. That's since 1968. But since David Knott has taken the helm, uh, we've gotten Reason.com. We have Reason TV. Who's on there? Well, people like Drew Carey, uh, people like John Stossel. My goodness sakes, you know, we are really now into big-time stuff. And what are we going to talk about a lot, at least the first opening tar uh, uh, discussion today, is about 
public public pensions, pension reform. When I was on the bench here in Orange County, California, for 25 years actually as a judge, I found out that, for example, sheriffs, the members of the sheriff's department, would be able to retire after 20 years of service, and they could retire for 3% of their last year's income times however number of years they had served. So if they served for 25 years, they get 75% of their uh, last year's salary. I won't argue with that as a formula. Uh, I do have thoughts on public pensions, but just leave that alone because they spike the pensions in their last year. And during their last year before they retire, and their supervisor helps them on this, the supervisor will give them all of the overtime that they can use. That counts for their last year's salary. They don't take any vacation, so they sell that back. That counts for last year's salary. Same thing with medical leave. So they get an artificially high last year's salary, which is basically a fraud on the taxpayers. Uh, the same thing happens in a lot of ways with regard to the schools, the schools, the, the teachers, and I love teachers, but those teachers' unions are really powerful and really able to get various people elected who will then control how much of the pensions and how much uh, union money that these unions get. So is there any help in sight? Well, I can tell you that there is some help in sight, and that is the Reason Foundation, which is not only been able to broadcast and put out effective information, but as I understand it, they've been working with the state of Michigan and now have helped the state of Michigan, of all places, be able to start bringing these pensions in under control. So, David Knott, welcome to All Rise, where we say, you know, if we implement libertarian approaches and solutions, we will all rise together, and who rising better with somebody like David Knott? David, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. So tell us a little bit first uh, what the Reason Foundation does. I hope that all of our listeners know, but uh, I filled in a few blanks. Please fill out some more. So at the Reason Foundation, we sell libertarian ideas, and we sell them in a variety of ways. One way is improved public policy. So if we can get pricing or competition into the delivery of government services, we think ideas like prices and, and competition uh, are good for everybody, the capitalist system. And so if we can create policies that use those ideas, it's good for everybody. Uh, we also publish Reason Magazine and produce Reason TV. And so anytime we tell a story and somebody pays attention and clicks and is persuaded by uh, the libertarian news and information that we're uh, sharing, then they are getting to know about the ideas of liberty that much more. So that's, uh, that's in a nutshell what we do and, and a couple of the ways, the platforms that we use for doing so. Well, David, as, as you know, and, and I hope that our listeners do as well, it's inherent in our system of democracy that politicians do not care about the future. They only care about the next election. So if I can just ease by and maybe even dupe or, or uh, pander to the voters and get reelected, I'll let the real problems show up later, but I'll be long since gone from office. So that's the literally kick the can down the road. But we have, as some have predicted, something on the order of a trillion dollars in liabilities uh, for public pensions. Some say it's more like six trillion, but just taking the lower number, as I understand it, that's about $10,000 for every man, woman, and child in our country that is in debt as to this. 
this. Uh, our state of California, as I understand, is only 66% funded for the school pensions. Uh, Kentucky's about 45%. Conne- Connecticut, I understand, about about 49%. So they play some games with this, and they say, oh, this liability is off book, so it's not discussed in the state's accounting. Uh, am my figures anywhere near correct? If so, I think we all should be scared. Yes, the estimates are one to six trillion in unfunded pension liabilities, and so those are all off book. And um, and and if you look around the country, as you mentioned, uh, I, I wouldn't want to quote actual percentages for different places, but it's at every level of government uh, we have these pensions are not fully funded in this country. And uh, interestingly, in Europe, they're much more serious about having well-financed pensions, and so they do not have the level of the problem that we have here. And it's, um, yeah, so yeah, that's right, one to six trillion, and it's, and, it's, and it's going, those chickens are going to come home to roost. The courts have said that those are contractual obligations for the state, and so the taxpayers are going to be on the hook for, for those payments. No, that's for sure. Tell us about... Uh, what is happening now based upon Reason's leadership and the assistance, of course, of the people of Michigan? Uh, what's happening in Michigan now? Are they turning the corner a little bit? Well, so we created our Pension Integrity Project, recognizing that with a huge liability of this size, uh, you can't deny that reality forever. And we've even seen in the news municipalities like Vallejo, San Bernardino, Detroit have to, had to declare bankruptcy because they could not meet their obligations. And, and, in, and you, you can look at some places, and 50% of their outlays are going for their pensions. So at that point, current public safety, uh, fixing the current potholes becomes impossible when those cities go upside down. And, and, and so, you, you know, you said that their politicians don't want to face this, but some politicians have to. And there are other politicians who do want to do the right thing and to show leadership. And so the way we approach this is we we acknowledge that there's a problem. We would like to see pensions that had greater integrity so that the retirees would have more security, um, knowing what they were going to have going forward and that taxpayers wouldn't have these liabilities. And at that point, what are good, innovative policy ideas that would help those motivated, principled policymakers, you know, do, do things better. So, for instance, um, we advocate that new hires be enrolled in a 401k-style plan where they save for their own retirement. They have the money set aside, and then it's essentially in their account, and it goes with them. And and for many employees, I mean, these days we have gig economy, we have people moving on after a year or two or four years. For those people in a, in a more portable world, those pensions then can go with the people who have saved up for a few years. And it's, 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 it's looking at the world and saying this isn't, you know, we really don't have a world in which people are, leave it to Beaver, 30 years in the same job. Um, that's, that's just not how... The knowledge economy is working. Um, so the first step that these places can take is to not make promises, 
that the taxpayers are on the hook for, but to actually create these retirement accounts. Um, the second thing that municipalities or, or states can do, and one of the things that we developed in the state of Michigan was that accounting standards for all of the various little pension plans at all, from all the little various forms of government. And, and, and that way there is, the state is providing oversight and a check and a balance on the system so that you won't get runaway or upside down sort of pension plans. And, and there are some safety measures that kick in if a particular pension plan does not have adequate funding then the state steps in and, you know, has a separate set of requirements. So these are, those are a couple of the, the, um, the innovations that we worked with the legislators in Michigan to implement. And if you can do it in Michigan, I would think, David, you, you could pretty much do this anywhere. Uh, I, it's, some people see it as hypocrisy when I say the following thing, which I don't think there should be any public pension programs anymore at all. However, I retired judge and I'm on one. So, you know, I've got I've got mine now to raise the drawbridge, but but I, I really think that we should go as a government just to the same system that we have for uh, uh, the human beings, uh, uh, namely the other workers and a 401k should do it and then of course the government will be contributing just like the employer is now knowing it's out of current funds, you're not going to incur this debt and and I hope there's some movement toward doing this at least to Yes, it's starting in Michigan. Are there movements elsewhere as well in that regard? Right. So Arizona was the first mover uh, in terms of working with Reason Foundation on their pension reform. And uh, so Arizona was first. Uh, Michigan was the other kind of major set of reforms. We've worked also, and there have been modest reforms in South Carolina modest reforms in Kentucky um, and, uh, and some reforms in Colorado as well. But Michigan and Arizona have been the two states that have shown the most seriousness of purpose and made more significant changes, such that Moody's changed the bond ratings for both states to improve the bond rating for both states after they uh, implemented the, forms, the reforms that we worked out to, with them and others. Oh, that, that's good news. There is a huge effort by on behalf of the teachers' unions to discredit charter schools. And I favor charter schools. We basically say it's school choice. Allow the parents to choose where their government money is going to be spent for the education of their children instead of locking them into various zip codes. So I did notice it was in the paper recently that in Sacramento, which is, of course, the capital of California, they were talking about passing some form of legislation which would make it much more difficult for charters to come into existence, and they could, in effect, uh, not be able to appeal adverse rulings on organizations that were run by teachers' unions that would keep them from coming in in the first place. And we had, the, it, the, the reality is, and I'll ask you if your reality is the same as mine, David, not, that, that most of the poorly performing schools, at public schools, really gravitate to the lower economic areas in which, unfortunately, to, in, in a lot of ways, we still have a lot of African Americans, a lot of people of color, Hispanics, whatever, and I'm looking at a picture in the paper that shows three uh, ostensibly African Americans holding up these big signs saying, one of them, 80% of black kids in California are below grade level in math, which is true. Another, stop prepping black kids for prison, which is unfortunately true. And the last is, the system wants to trap 
my son in a failing school. So charter schools are a way out for education. I know that the Reason Foundation is in favor of those and is actively working on them. But again, if people, people take their children out of a public school, that public school loses money, and uh, at least from that, from that child. And so now we're even having more difficulty with the pension system. So it's, it's connected. What, what's Reason's view as to charter schools and school choice? Well, anytime you can give parents more control and more decision rights uh, for what is best for their children and what is going to provide the best educational outcome for their children, I think you get better outcomes. Uh, and then, and then it's also good to look at the systems for schooling. And if you, what we have observed is that school districts where the money follows the child and where the school site and the principal has more uh, autonomy and what to do with the money and uh, more control over the hiring and firing decisions at the school site, that you end up getting better performance. Most principals in a typical traditional public school have about 10% budget control. So among the innovations that tends to go with charters is that you have much more local budget control. Uh, the teachers often like the environment where they have a one-page professional contract rather than uh, a highly stipulated union-negotiated contract. But charters come in all stripes. I mean, the Green Dot charter schools are all union. Um, the Alliance charter schools in Los Angeles are non-union. Uh, so you get the, 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 what you get with charters and what I celebrate is and different models can be tested, and there can be more innovation, and, uh, and, and that's the idea. The free market idea is that you want to be able to weed out failure, and you want to be able to exit a failing school. And so this is what school choice and, and charters are a form of school choice help to, help to accomplish. Well, as I understand it, the city of New York last year went to the ultimate a reality shock in that they were paying, I can't remember, $10 million to teachers not to teach because it was found that they were so un, unhelpful in the schools that uh, in the classrooms that they actually decided it was better for the children if they did not teach, so they would be in effect in a gymnasium and would be reading or playing bridge with each other or right. something, being paid not to teach. Uh, my goodness, if we were to go to a charter school system or just competition in the school districts, the teachers that couldn't teach would actually lose their jobs, to which I think all of us should say, good. Uh, is, am I on that with regard to Reason Foundation as well? Oh, yes. People, we should pay people to perform, and people who don't perform should, should not be on the public rolls, and we shouldn't be guaranteeing uh, payment to people who are not producing anything of value for the citizen. Then also, uh, Germany has been extremely successful, as I understand it, in vocational schools. And, you know, not everybody should be a uh, petroleum engineer, Mr. Knott, or uh, be involved in economics. That maybe I want to be a mechanic, maybe I want to be a, an electrician, a plumber, whatever. Who better to know where their child's direction the child should go than the parents. Uh, so if we were, in fact, to employ school choice, we could also then uh, use it for vocational schools. Is that part of the plank as well? Well, I, I think, I mean, it's not that something that Reason's doing very little on those, those specific questions. Uh, however, 
there, somebody looked at the data of pay in society and they said, oh, college graduates make more money than non-college graduates. Therefore, we should make everyone be a college graduate. Everyone should go to college and that way everyone would make more money. And so we have a huge bubble in higher education right now. Um, we have lots of people who perhaps should have gone to vocational school or pursued a career who are coming out now of colleges with massive amounts of debt and poor job prospects. And that's, that's not a, it's a good thing for the person who is, 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 is coming out with that mountain of debt over their heads. Um, and, and so, and, and part of why we've seen this is that with government guarantees of student loans, uh, with a lot of the government backstops for higher education, we've seen the price of higher education go up much faster than inflation uh, because there are all of these subsidy programs. And so there, there's a lot of incentive problems related to higher education that I think it would, that we need to sort through. Well, David, as I'm dusting off my memory banks, I seem to recall that back in around 2005, 2006, the government decided, oh, everyone should should pursue the American dream and own a home. And so they even passed legislation encouraging home ownership. Well, okay, and then they started Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac would start guaranteeing various loans, which on their faces just were not good solid loans, and that really directly led into the whole uh, real estate uh, right. scandal it's, and, it's, and uh, problems that we had in 2008. Is your recollection the same right. as mine? It's the same inversion in thinking because if you look at it and you see, you see people who have home ownership have, and you can associate all of the attributes that go with those people, then the, the follow-up is to say, oh, well, therefore, everybody should own a home because then everybody would have all of these other attributes. But those attributes are actually the result of their choices and their behaviors. And so just putting people into homes that they can't afford and in, in, a, in, a, in a speculative way uh, that's how you create a housing bubble, and that's how you create a lot of people who are upside down, and, and, and it's, it, it's just social engineering that doesn't work um, because it's, it's not in alignment with human nature. Well, Reason Foundation, again, and this is Reason Foundation President David Knott, I'm sure agrees with Milton Friedman, who's uh, certainly a hero and always will be in my book, and he said something revolutionary if we would adopt it, which was, we should judge our programs by the results, not their good intentions. I mean, that would cause enormous revolution in our country, where we'd actually start looking at things like, you know, wage and price controls. Oh, they sound good, let's let's bring equality for everyone. Cause enormous troubles. Uh, the rent control issues, same thing. Uh, even uh, uh, minimum wages result in lots of people losing their jobs. So, so this is, it's the reality of life as I see it. That you, competition works and we get into right. uh, incentives actually work. They're, they're favorable. If you put somebody with an incentive to produce, they'll produce. But if you get into situations like we're talking about now where the government's going to guarantee everybody a good-paying job, well, now, wait a minute. What you're thinking there is that no one could be fired. If you're guaranteed a job, then what incentive do I have to produce? So it's the Reason Foundation. It's your Reason TV, uh, Reason.com. And I recommend to people they go to Reason.com and, and take a look at what 
what Reason Foundation is doing. And they're focusing on things that work, just like Milton Friedman would say. So after this break, we're going to come back and talk about a few more things that David Knott, the president uh, since 2001 uh, of the Reason Foundation, is actually putting into existence, things that are working. And again, if they can get a a hearing in Michigan on pension reform there, uh, they're doing magical work, doing work for us all. You know, what a legacy that I am, I'm retired, I'm on Medicare, uh, I'm going to be okay, but my children, based upon these these deficits that we have, are in real financial trouble, and my grandchildren, although I don't have any yet, uh, but maybe someday, but our grandchildren are bankrupt. That's the legacy that which seems like we are leaving our children, and it's up to us well-thinking, intelligent, caring people to stand up and support groups like the Reason Foundation in bringing responsibility back into our government. So a little bit more on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray and his special guest, David Knott, after this message. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit LP.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray on the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. All rise. We'll all rise together with my truly special guest, David Knott, who is the president of Reason Foundation, basically free minds and free markets. We were talking about China earlier. They have raised more people out of poverty because of the free enterprise system or free markets. Uh, that's 50% of the game. Free minds is nowhere close, but, uh, but we're working on it. Uh, I don't think that the Reason Foundation has a Chinese delegation yet, but uh, we'll plant that seed. <laughs> but we, we, we have seen how competition works. 
Uh, we hear this from Milton Friedman, incentives matter, which of course they do. And we also heard it in reverse from Henry Ford, who I always say was not my favorite person socially because I think he was anti-Semitic, but he said something everybody at all walks of life should understand, which is anyone that feels that they can thrive by relying on the government should talk to the American Indian. I mean, that really pretty much says it. It just doesn't work. I care about people. I was in the Peace Corps. I want people to thrive. I want them to progress. And the best way is to have them be responsible for their actions and get incentives to, to, to have an incentive to earn the extra dollar or to go the extra mile, whatever it would be. Of course, we need a safety net. That's my opinion. Uh, and, but not because we have to. We don't owe anybody anything, but we're compassionate people. We want to. So people are not entitled to it. Maybe they'll even be appreciative if, in fact, they receive these things. So we were talking with David Knott about trying to bring competition more back into our government, back into our lives. Uh, the government gets into these things, big bureaucracy. Uh, we were talking about the schools. It's my view that public schools are top-heavy with administration. You go into charter schools. You go into private schools, much, much less administration, more focus on actually teaching in the classroom. These things are important. I'd go so far as to say that the state of California has something called Caltrans, uh, which is a California taking care of building roads and repairing roads. I don't think the state of California should own any dump trucks or earth movers whatsoever. They should be just giving private contracts to various other groups that will maintain the roads and build the roads, etc. So uh, I expect that, uh, David Knott, you're pretty much in that as well. Can you, can you bring me a few more examples of where we must bring competition back into our lives and into our government for the betterment of us all, except the bureaucrats in Washington? Right. So I think with transportation, there are a few examples. Um, it's, it, you know, we, we used to make fun of the bread lines they had in the Soviet Union. Uh, but then here we, we sit in traffic. And traffic is a politically created problem. And it's because the, the, the resource of the road is not allocated based on the value people take from it. And so if, if we can actually start to price the roads... Uh, if you if you did price the roads, you would both have more capacity built by private vendors who could recoup their investment in those private roads in the form of tolls. And and, and I like to here in Los Angeles, we have some major freeways that are pretty much always uh, in gridlock, and it's you could deck four or five, you could deck the ten and charge people to go on those second-tier lanes and guarantee that they are moving. And it would be an expansion of capacity and an expansion of mobility. There's a great little example in Orange County, California, where there are free lanes next to priced lanes. And the priced lanes use half the real estate, and they move 25% more cars. So it's, it's the resources even more effective. And what and, and one of the arguments that is used against these is, oh, well, only rich people are going to use the, 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 the priced lanes. And when you look at what is the most common car in those priced lanes, it's like a Honda Accord or a Toyota Corolla. It's actually not a luxury vehicle. And people use them selectively. If they need to get home one night to avoid paying the day key, the daycare late fee, or if they want to get home for the Little League game 
they'll pay the price to guarantee the speed of the trip. And then on other nights where they don't have to be home for something, they'll save the money and use the, the free lanes. So one way for competition to be unleashed would be in our entire transportation system. A second example with, within transportation is our traffic control system. Uh, in, in, uh, in Canada and in New Zealand, they have created a private entity to handle their traffic control. And the private entity has used technology and better governance, and both have demonstrably more effective systems for air traffic control than what we have in the United States. In the United States, they still use paper strips instead of computers, and it's a very antiquated system. And it's been recognized, the last four presidential administrations all recognized that we would have a much superior air traffic control system if we moved in this new direction. And Trump, to his credit, is the first president in the last four to announce that he wanted this New initiative happened. However, he didn't put political capital behind it, and the idea was blocked by Republican members of the Senate, as populated states, more rural states, because they didn't want, they wanted the gravy train of patronage for the current system, rather than to move to a more efficient system that's designed around maximum safe air traffic control use technology. So the supposed party of free market obstacle to having a more effective free market system in air traffic control. Uh, David, I I remember as well, and this goes back numbers of years, when we used to have the Civil Aeronautics Board, and they would set the rates for airplane tickets. And they did it, of course, because they didn't want people going out of business. And it turned out that the airlines loved it because they would always lobby to get higher rates and there wasn't any competition. Uh, But once we did away with that system, some of those old antiquated airlines went out of business. The Think Pan American, Think TWA, uh, others merged. And along comes Southwest Airlines. It beats everybody at this and with with service and the rest. So competition, since we got rid of the Civil Aeronautics Board, uh, has thrived and kept the price of airline tickets down. Is that not your recollection as well? Oh, absolutely. There are, there are studies that show the amount of, of, of innovation that was unleashed and the net consumer benefit, and it's, it's staggering. There was a deregulation at, in the late 70s of, of airlines, trucking, interstate transport, uh, natural gas pipelines. Uh, those deregulations all put huge wind into the economy through the 80s and were, you know, I'm sure were a part of the, the economic growth we saw under Reagan and, and, and Clinton. Indeed. In fact, I'm going to take a slight diversion here, but I was talking recently to a former or now retired Southwest Airlines stewardess, and she would say that on occasion when their planes would hit the runway hard, uh, their 737s would hit down hard, and she'd look in the first couple of rows and maybe some people have their chins down on their chests, and so she'd immediately pick up the microphone and say, well, I understand that we just had a hard landing, but I want you to know that this was not the plane's fault and it was not the crew's fault. It was the asphalt. No, I always thought that was kind of fun. <laughs> but I'm talking Truly about. off the subject, but uh, I'll, I'll go with it. David, we also, though, um, see different different types of services. Uh, but there's such a, 
movement to, in today's world, mostly with the younger folks, to, in, to entitlements. Uh, I believe in socialism sort of thing. Uh, even to the extent that uh, they are bringing in all of this, the Green New Deal supposedly uh, is going to bring in every progressive or socialistic uh, arrow that they've had in their quiver forever just in the name of, of saving the planet. Uh, what, what do you, what does reason talk about with regard to young people and in effect showing them that it may sound good, these voters, these people are pandering to you, but it will not work. Uh, what examples do you use to show that? Well, it's, uh, it's a, we have to endlessly make the case for freedom and, and the, the kind of the taking responsibility for your own life. And with the new generation, it's the same thing all over again. And they, do, they, you know, this new generation didn't have the experience of gas lines in the 70s. They didn't have the experience of rationing during World War II. They, they've lived through different things. They, most of them don't even know what 9-11 was. So, so their lived experience is one of incredible wealth and plenty. And so and when a new politician comes along singing a song that sounds good, it's easy to be led along behind it. One of the things we're pointing to is that uh, the, the real-world examples of these ideas in practice, and, and, and some of the leading politicians in the national stage right now are talk, have, have said explicitly in the past that they thought Venezuela's socialism was a really great example for us to follow. Uh, they've pointed to Cuba's socialism as a really great example for us to follow. Um, they don't they don't point out that there was starvation in Cuba within the last 20 years. Um, they, they don't point out that there's a massive humanitarian crisis of refugees out of Venezuela and that the re they, you know, what they're, what, what if they've even have the, the gumption to suggest that, well, Venezuela's socialism could have just was, it was implemented badly. And that really the only thing they needed was to just do it better. Um, but it's a complete misunderstanding of, of what system of accountability and performance gets people into their getting the right skills applied in the right way. Um, it's capitalism is a miracle. I mean, the, the stuff, the discoveries, the innovations, um, the, the, the plenty that we have is absolutely astounding. And, and I'm all, and I'm equally astounded that the political class is arguing that that's the problem, um, not the benefit. And they, they, I'm astounded when a billion people have been lifted out of poverty around the world through trade, that suddenly trade is now the thing that we want to work against. I mean, these are, these are, these are just incredible things that have happened in the world. So, you know, we just got to make the case every day. We got to tell these stories and we got to, we've got to educate people. You're simply completely right. The way I phrase it is that throughout history, poverty has been the normal status of mankind. Uh, in fact, yep. it's only been the last two or three hundred years through capitalism, through the movement of capital, through trade, that we have been able to overcome uh, this and live uh, in, in a more better life. I'll ask the question of, of 
young people or anyone else that would listen, look, if you could, would you trade places with Henry VIII of England? You know, obviously the top right. dog of his time, but died at an early age, uh, had pussy sores in his legs, had gout. Uh, he he was uh, lived in a drafty palace. So he couldn't, uh, I mean, who wants to have six wives anyway? But that's a little off the subject. But even to travel, you know, he'd bumpy carriage rides, 20 miles was just a, a something else. Nobody, he didn't have any cell phones last I looked, or even a color television or, or have health or clean water, that sort of thing. That has been brought to the world through capitalism, through the free market system. And, and to see it denigrated is just really crazy. Another system that uh, I know Reason Foundation, and this kind of got me involved with libertarian approaches, uh, is the war on drugs, uh, is drug prohibition, which I call the biggest failed policy in the history of the United States of America, second only to slavery. And, and then I'll tell people that you, you tell me whatever interest you have, I will show you to your satisfaction how drug prohibition has made that worse. And it can be health care, certainly incarceration, safety in the streets, anywhere. Uh, it's made worse by drug prohibition. I noticed that you wrote an article called Kill Dare Now back in 2003, just a little while after you took the reins of the Reason Foundation. Dare, of course, uh, is the high school stay off drugs kind of just say no program. What caused you to do that, David? Well, the, the, I think it was up for reauthorization. It's been over a decade, but I think it was, there was a debate going on about DARE and all of the evidence is that it's a, just a, it's an art project, not an effective policy. Uh, so it was just a matter of saying, you know, look, this is feel-goodism 101, but it, it's not successful. We need to make a change. I, I uh, believe that anyone that is going to be teaching about these mind-altering, sometimes addicting drugs, should be able to tell the truth. And I've been shocked at my generation of the, of the 60s. We have, and, and I've never used any illicit drugs, but, but a lot of my friends and cohorts have, certainly. But we have been putting our children in jail for doing the same thing that we did when, they were, when, when we were their age. That, that this whole thing has just simply been a fiasco. And if you, you look at the macro area, uh, just look at Mexico where, my goodness, all of this corruption, all of this violence, all this crime, all these beheadings have nothing to do with drugs whatsoever. Zero, nothing. It's all drug money that causes those. Imagine the money that we could take away from Mexican drug cartels, uh, juvenile street gangs, and other illegal sellers of drugs, including North Korea, which I think has been involved in that rather substantially, and use that to pay our firefighters and fix our roads and pay our teachers. So, uh, I know that Reason has been doing this for a very long time, uh, in fact, I've watched Drew Carey talk a lot about these things, but uh, uh, tell us how you feel we are making progress with regard to repealing drug prohibition uh, in ways other than marijuana and uh, see how we're doing. Well, I'm first off optimistic, and I bet before we jump over marijuana, uh, 80% of the regular drug users in this country are marijuana users. So if marijuana goes away from the drug war, you have a much smaller drug war. That's the first thing I would say. So I, I don't think we should just jump over marijuana. And also, the, the, the news there is very good. In the last election, uh, Michigan, first state in the upper Midwest, very populous state, uh, legalized adult use. Uh, Utah, which is the reddest of the red states, very socially conservative Mormon state, legalized medical marijuana. So we are seeing progress across the board on 
this on, on this because I think it started with the medical therapeutic model and people began to then see that there, that this substance was a tool, that it might help them sleep, that it might help them with pain, uh, and that also it had potential medical uses such as for the spasticity that goes along with epilepsy. And so there were clinical trials at NYU establishing that um, these kids with juvenile epilepsy were, were their symptoms were better in some cases, the side effects were better in other cases, and in some cases it wasn't, there wasn't improvement, but there was, a, there was enough improvement across enough population that, that the world is seeing that there is, that these, that these substances can be a tool. So what I think is very interesting in the recent developments is that uh, Denver just decriminalized possession of psilocybin mushrooms which are in the category of psychedelics. Uh, there are clinical trials that have been approved, uh, one in the UK for psilocybin with serious depression. Uh, and the results, I think the early results there are on safety so that they can roll out at scale. And that is, um, so far, they're, they're meeting all of their safety requirements. Uh, and then uh, Rick Doblin of MAPS has clinical trials going for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder with veterans and using the substance MDMA in a, in a very controlled therapeutic setting and is also seeing some very exciting early results. So where 20-some years ago the medical marijuana model started and it's really been a very slow process of social change, uh, we seem to be diving in pretty quickly with some of these psychedelics down the same road in, a, in, a, in an actually medically tested as opposed to the, the medical therapeutic model that was used for the marijuana legislation. And it's, um, these things are being tested. And so I'm, I'm very encouraged by the, the beginnings there. And I think as the country has more and more experience with these drugs and becomes much more intelligent and purposeful about them, that it will normalize the relationship to them and we will realize that it's not a law enforcement problem, but to the extent that somebody has mental health issues or abuse issues, that those are public health issues and we need to treat them as, as public health issues, not as criminal issues. Because if somebody's got a problem with a drug, putting them in prison only compounds their problems. It doesn't really put them on a road to wellness or getting better. David, I read just recently that last year, 2008, 2018, we had 1,000 inmates in our California prisons die of drug overdoses. You think of that. 1,000 people that are in the most controlled environment in our state, and they can get enough drugs to overdose on and the rest. <laughs> so it, 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 they're here. If we can't keep drugs out of prison, how do you expect to keep them off the streets of our towns and cities? And in fact, exactly. I heard that Charles Manson exactly. was actually transferred from one prison to another because he was found to be selling illicit drugs out of his cell, and he was in solitary confinement. So it's just, it's just right, crazy right, to think right. that we can legislate this away. Right. I have uh, exactly. gone, gone into some research with regard to marijuana and your, your approach is the same as mine, that I found that 
I believed it was 70%, 75%, 80% of the people in our country use only marijuana and using any form of illicit substance when it was then illegal. But if so, they knew that if, in fact, we were to regulate and control this and take it out of the criminal justice system, that literally everybody else in the country using every other illicit drug combined would not justify this colossal bureaucracy we have to fight the war on drugs. And so they couldn't have anybody speaking in any way other than negative about marijuana. That's why the federal government was against medical marijuana, because they don't want people to start thinking that, hey, maybe it just isn't evil after all. Or hemp, for heaven's sake. You know, you go back to Thomas Jefferson's right. plantations and George Washington's and stuff, too. Even Congress didn't know that they were making illegal burlap sacks when they made marijuana illegal. They just thought it was cannabis. So don't say anything good about it. So what has the, been the best well, and, system and, that we have had? And, 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 and even still, even still, most of the progress on liberalization has happened through the ballot box because voters have said this needs to change. It's maybe Vermont, I think only maybe one state has, has liberalized their marijuana rules through the legislature. New Jersey was I think that's very right. close. New Jersey was very close in this last session. Um, but you basically had subsets of legislators trying to extract extra benefits from the, the from the law, and then so it didn't end up passing. But it was close. So this is how sort of the politicians have not wanted to take the lead on this, and so it's really been regular people that have made this change. I mean, well, one of the lines that when Colorado legalized at the ballot box was a great line that in the state of Colorado, more people voted to legalize marijuana than voted for Barack Obama. I mean, weed was more popular than Obama in Colorado. Um, so that's just, a, you know, an, another example. And, and But despite the popularity, the, the political class is just not demonstrating the courage or the leadership to, um, to right the ship. I'm afraid that's right. You go to libertarian values, and again, we employ them, we implement them, we promote them, we will all rise together. And where a better example than with regard to a mind-altering, sometimes addicting substance, where in our country we've been successful in addressing it, and that's smoking cigarettes. And we did not do that by making them illegal. We have regulations, and you can't smoke cigarettes in different places, etc. We have age restrictions, we have advertising restrictions, the use of cigarettes has gone down. And if we were to make cigarettes illegal, of course, the Al Capones in this world would love it, but uh, it's working. And we can do the same thing, bringing back responsibility uh, in people's lives. And you look at the criminal justice system, and I've been in there for really quite a while, unfortunately overseeing it, not as a defendant, but uh, you look at it, and the criminal justice system was designed to protect us from each other. And it's really pretty good at that. David, if I were to hit you in the mouth, you'd be a, a responding witness and a victim, and you'd be able to testify, etc. It's pretty good at protecting us from each other. It is simply not designed for and not good at protecting us from ourselves. So if you or I were to go home tonight and drink 10 martinis, obviously not a smart thing to do, not a healthy thing to do, but not illegal, unless, of course, we get behind the wheel. Now, that should be illegal, and we know this, because if I were to drink 10 martinis and get behind the wheel and drive a car, I'm putting your safety at risk. And if our country would just come to that realization, we would just make incredible progress in getting away from these failed social policies. 
Reason Foundation is leading the charge. What do you have lined up for the future in the few minutes we have left, David Knott, president of the Reason Foundation? And you certainly get some of my money and support, but what do you have uh, lined up in the future? Well, we are, um, we are doing a significant expansion of our work with legislators around the country to implement better policies. We've added a drug policy center to work on sensible marijuana regulation. So, for instance, in California, the tax is so high, something like 71% tax, that most of the marijuana sales have remained in the black market. And so adult use was passed, but the state has kind of botched the implementation. So it's, it's because they don't understand markets, they don't understand laffer curves on taxes, things of that nature. So we are, we are working with legislators around the country to make sensible reforms. Um, for the magazine, we are, we are doubling down on socialism as a topic because we see so much going on in the political world that is, we find deeply troubling, and we think there's room for, uh, for good news about capitalism and, and honest explanations about what socialism really means. So these are, these are among the things that are at the top of our mind right now. Um, another, the third area I would talk about is free speech. An amazing time in this country where I grew up thinking that the civil liberty, civil libertarian left were the prime advocates of free speech, but with the with the invention of thought crimes called hate speech, and uh, there have been a whole new set of rights that have been invented, and the civil libertarian left does not seem to be as passionate about free speech. So we feel very alone in our principled commitment to free speech, uh, particularly on college campuses. We think that the moves towards safe spaces, uh, you know, you can't say that because it made me uncomfortable. All of these things are really terrible threats, and they're something we are actively confronting. So those are just a few of the the initiatives we have cooking right now. David Knott. Reason Foundation, Reason Magazine, Reason.com, Reason TV. I am so deeply grateful for what you do. I'm so happy that you're there working for these things. They're not necessarily obvious to people unless they start giving it some thought, but, but you really are doing God's work and, uh, or the King's work and the, and the Prince's work and, and everyone else. So thank you from all of us for that. Uh, is, I assume reason.com is the best place for our listeners to get additional information. Yep. Reason.com is our magazine retail site and reason.org is our substantive public policy site. Well, please go and do yourself a favor and learn more about the Reason Foundation. Thank you, David Knott, for being with us on this day, uh, for spreading the good news. There's a lot of good things happening around the world, and by thunder, Reason Magazine is a part of it. So that's our edition of All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray, and I would say the Libertarian Way with Reason Foundation. We employ these values. It's shown in the past. It was shown now. It's shown in the future that it will work, and we 
will all rise together. So that's where we are. Uh, I, I tell people if they're in school, if they don't get challenged at least 10 times a week, they're not getting their money's worth. And I think that uh, David Knott was saying the same thing. So come in, tune in with us next week once again for All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. We'll have some fun. We'll all learn and we'll all rise together. Thank you. Talk to you then. Life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my thoughts that help us control.